We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Hello. Yes, so um, me and Nick were meant to be double teaming sharing today, um, but he's, he's not very well, so it's all over to me. So if you see lots of references to Nick while we're going through, it's not my obsession with him. It was that we were going to do this together. Um, okay, so um, we were inspired, both of us happened to read the same um, book by Tim Keller, which inspired a lot of thoughts, but we wanted to, to share what stuck out with us in a way that would be helpful for, for others. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. So, wh- why this topic? Why do we think to look at it now? Well, we've been talking about the idea that God is inviting us to a level of intimacy where he comes and lives within us and expresses himself through us. He transforms us into his likeness, and his likeness is someone that is not self-obsessed. In Philippians 2, says that Jesus emptied himself so that he could be obedient to the point of death. If we want the Spirit to live inside of us and express himself through us, we've got to be at a level where we, we're not binding his hands all the time. So, oh, Father God, come, come live in me. Spirit of God, live in me. Let me be used by you. And the Spirit says he wants to give Richard a hug. Like, but I'm thinking, ooh, that's a bit weird. He smells a bit. Do I, re- do I really want to? And there's a, there's a fight between, oh, what, what, what will Bill think if he sees me hugging Richard? He's going to be thinking I'm a little bit weird. And then we, put, we, we clamp God's hands of what he wants to do. He wants his arms, which happen to be my arms, to wrap around someone. But when we're self-obsessed, when we're worried about what other people are thinking about all the time, we, we put a weight, a restriction on what God wants to do. Nick was going to share the story about talking in his development group. and it, There was a really honest conversation about why aren't, what, what is it that hinders us from hanging out with each other outside of these settings. And there was a recognition that, you know what, if I'm not willing to say to someone, no, I'm not available, or I've got to get on with some other things now, so I'm going to have to stop hanging out. If we're not willing to do that, we're never going to invite people over in the first place because we're just so worried about what people might think or how we come across. And we can't really love if we have this constant fear of rejection limiting us. I don't know if... if you ever have that kind of analysis, uh, paralysis by analysis where you're thinking so much about how something would be perceived by someone else that in the end you, you can't even express what's truly in your heart and who you really are. Here's a funny little clip from a, a sitcom called Spin City. And you just see this, this guy has been accused that he's a racist. And so now that's got into his head and it's messing around with how he's thinking. The essence of it is he, he, he's got in his mind, oh, no, I, I'm not a racist. And 
you see him stand at one end of the corridor, with, and, and uh, one of his work colleagues, a black guy, is at the other end of the corridor. And he's saying, oh, um, okay. So he's already in his head, so he's thinking, okay, what can I, um, what should I do? Oh, I, I should nod. I should, I should nod and, and say hello. Have you ever... Have you ever been in a situation where you've overthought something so much that you end up coming across much weirder than you'd ever intended? I had a conversation with one person once and they were saying, you know what, if I wasn't so worried about what everyone else thought of me when I walked into a room, I would be able to think what I could do to encourage those other people in the room. But I can't even get to that thought because I can't get past the, thir the first bombardment of thoughts. If I sit here, will they think this of me? If I say this, they think that of me. And the heart that's beating inside is unable to be expressed. In the Bible, Paul saw other outworkings of self-obsession. And he saw it in terms of division. He's talking to the church in Corinth and he's saying... Look, guys, you're all trying to get pride or get position by saying who you're friends with. Oh, I'm friends with this leader. Or I'm friends with that leader. And it's causing a divide within the church. And so Paul's going through and trying to sort that out. And he says, but personally, I'm not the least bit concerned if I'm judged by you or any verdict I receive from any human court. In fact, I don't even assume to be my own judge, even though my conscience is clear. But that doesn't mean I stand acquitted before the Lord, for the only judge I care about is him. He goes on to say, It is futile to move beyond what is written in the scripture and be inflated with self-importance by following and promoting one leader in competition with another. For what makes a distinction between you and someone else? And what do you have that grace has not given you? And if you have received it as a gift, why do you boast as though there is something special about you? This section here, I'm not the least bit concerned if I'm judged by you or any verdict I receive in any human court. In fact, I don't even assume to be my own judge. When, when we do allow other things to be our judge, we, we get caught up in our, inside our heads. That I don't know if it, you'd ever be like this, but oh, I can't really give this person a lift because the state of my car, oh, it'd be a bit embarrassing for them to, to come in my car. Or, well, I, I would have a conversation with them, but why would they want to talk to me? We get trapped in our heads. We fail to express what God's put in our hearts. We fail to see the needs that are around us. And we can end up getting caught in division of trying to compare and um, compete. Sometimes it looks a little bit nicer than that. Sometimes we don't even realise what's going on. You ever heard yourself saying, oh, I feel really bad for these people and what they're going through. It makes me feel really bad for them. I feel really bad that they're suffering. Even in that, though, our focus can be on how bad we feel about it and how sad we feel rather than them. Our friend in America, Mark McGrath, once told me the story when he was a pastor. He was called um, by someone in his church and their, their, their baby had just passed away and it was a big shock. And he was driving over to, to see them in his car. And he's saying, oh, God, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Oh, this is so difficult. This is so difficult. I don't know. Oh, this is really tough. I don't know what to say. And then he felt God say to him, tough for you. He's like, oh, 
God. And just brought him back. It's like, this, is, this has become about me. It's not about me. And then he was released to then and go and be a, a support that was looking at them. Sometimes we don't feel as we, we're trying to promote ourselves. We're actually just trying to stay under the loser radar. We, we don't hit, hit that radar for any reason. Um, sometimes it's, it's, I just don't want to stand out. I remember the day that I'd forgotten it was non-uniform day. And Dad was driving me to school. And I just saw, oh, no one's wearing uniform. Oh, no, it's non-uniform day. Oh, I'm dressed in my uniform. And I managed to convince my dad to take me all the way back home again so I could get changed, just so I didn't stand out. That was the thing. I didn't, it wasn't that I had any great clothes that I wanted to show off. I just didn't want to be the loser still wearing his school uniform. Nick, I feel bad telling Nick's embarrassing stories, but I really, I really need it. So. What I should have said is that any story is actually Nick's story. Okay. Mine are the ones that make me look good. Um, Nick said that he, was friend, he made friends with a, a kid that lived down his road, but the kid wasn't particularly popular, but they'd connected on music, and so this guy would come over to his house and they'd play music. Then one day, unexpectedly, these two popular girls knocked on the door to chat to him, and Nick managed to convince his friend, it would be really funny if you hid upstairs so they didn't know that you were here. And... And Nick remembers, after the girls had gone, after 15 minutes, <laughs> he said, phew, good thing they didn't realize he was there, otherwise I would have hit the loser radar by association. I know, terrible, isn't he terrible? <laughs> now you're all wondering who that friend was. <laughs> so we live every day in a court. And we can imagine who's in the benches judging us. It might be the cool people that, that we, we just want their appreciation. It might be the, the, the beautiful girl or boy that we're constantly looking for their attention. It might be what Twitter's saying or social media. Maybe that's our judge. Or if I post this, it will say this. All right. Particularly anyone in any high-profile position, they must have spent a lot of time agonizing of how their tweet is going to be judged. Sometimes we feel judged by what the scripture says. Do we, do we stack up against it? We might be judged by our teachers or our guides or our leaders. We might be feeling that we're judged by our parents. Can't make out what that is. Our, by our heroes, judged by Superman. Or even the authority. We're constantly feeling that whenever you have a decision, you probably can imagine there's someone in this chair who you're thinking about. How are they going to perceive what you've done? But then even if it's not all those people, sometimes it's just ourselves. We're judging ourselves constantly. So what is the cause of this? Well, the term that we'd often use is, is our ego Nick was saying to me that, you know what, I'd never really considered the reason that I didn't want to reach out to, to other people was because of my self-importance. I didn't realize it was that. I thought it was that I was, I was shy or just a, just a little bit insecure, but it was really pride. that I didn't want to be associated with those people. I didn't want what that, what that looked like. It was his ego that was shouting inside of him. 
And so we need to come to a point where God, what God wants is more important than what we want. And that means sometimes if I'm loud, I need to be quiet. Other times, if I'm quiet and withdrawn, sometimes I need to reach out. But the ego keeps us on one track. And Paul talks about it. He says, It is futile to move beyond what is written in the Scriptures and be inflated with self-importance by following and promoting one leader in competition with another. Inflated with self-importance. Other, other versions say puffed up. And it's from a, a Greek word, um, which literally means to be overinflated or swollen or distended beyond. It's, it's not a pleasant term that he's using there. And we see that there's actually three different things that, the, that Paul is suggesting with that, that, that word. That the ego is, first of all, it's empty. So if you think we've been designed with a space for God to fill, but if we're looking for something else to give us that sense of importance, it's constantly going to be empty. It's, it's just like a grain of sand in an aeroplane hangar, anything apart from God that we're trying to fill ourselves with. And we're constantly searching for that thing that would give us a sense of worth, make us feel special, give us a, a basis of purpose, and we try and build our lives on those things but it's never going to fit. It's never going to be big enough. When, when I was younger, um, I, we, I went on my, my year out, my gap year, and um, I got to go, first of all, to, this country, uh, to New Hampshire. Now, I was really excited about going to New Hampshire because my brothers hadn't been there. And so growing up with Daniel and Nathan, uh, fairly big personalities, it felt like, you know, like that little tree that has to find its way to find the light in amongst the big trees. And I loved being in New Hampshire because there was no shadows. And I could, I could be myself, and I could be loud, and I could be funny, and I was set, helping set up a youth group there. And so I was this, like, English superstar, and the accent works very well there. And so I used to have to talk to the church, and I got like people really, really positive about me, and I loved it. And I went straight from there to New Hampshire, uh, from New Hampshire to Trinidad, where we were part of and uh, connected with another network, where they were really already very well established. And I went there not to set anything up, but to to learn. And both my brothers had been there. And while I was there. I just found any time I tried to address people in a public setting, my jokes just fell flat on their face. I got my words stumbled up, and I was misunderstood all the time. And it was painful. And I went from center stage to back seat. And there was a point where this guy said to me, oh, man, when Nathan came to this island, he took this island by storm. Everyone loved him. You're very different to him, aren't you? <laughs> And I immediately thought, okay, right, I know what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to be louder. I'm going to have to be funnier. I'm going to have to be the center of any attention there is. And that's, that was my, my first reaction. And the other thing that we see about this 
ego is it's constantly hurting. And that was the, I actually felt like the guy just stabbed me when he just said that. Because it's the, the only part of the body that you're particularly aware of is the one that's hurting. Now, you're not generally thinking about your toes and how well those toes are working until you stub them. And then the pain is, is absolutely disproportionate. Or if, who stepped on a piece of Lego? <laughs> disproportionate. It shouldn't hurt that much. The ego is constantly saying, ow, 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 ow. We're constantly causing us to think about what we look like and how we're being treated by others. It's, it is very difficult to get through the day without feeling snubbed, offended, forgotten, looked over. That's because there's something wrong with my ego. You get more in this generation, the cry of, I'm offended. That's the ego. Get that a lot now. The ego is also busy. Constantly comparing and boasting. Always trying to get the attention that it needs. is insatiable. C.S. Lewis said, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that we're proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but we're not. They're proud about being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there'd be nothing to be proud about. Tim Keller talks about living in New York and you get people travelling to come and make their trade in New York and you say, you meet violinists who are fantastic in their own town and then they come to make it in the, on the big stage of New York and suddenly they're not the best in the bunch anymore. And suddenly they lose the passion for the instrument that they travelled with because if they can't be the best, there's no interest in it. Pride destroys our ability to get any true pleasure from something. So imagine you're constantly thinking, what can, I, what can I add to my resume? What can I add to my CV? What's going to help me? In the, in the book, Tim Keller says, his mum was constantly suggesting to him, why don't you go and help down at the, the homeless shelter? That will look good on your resume. That will help you with your college application. Oh, why, why don't you cut the neighbour's grass? They might write something for you. It'll help you later on. We think, oh, that's, that's despicable. How often are we doing that? We're writing a resume to God to get his approval or doing something so that our leaders see us as if they're in the, the judge's chair that we're trying to earn ourselves. It's interesting how much we may dislike ourselves, but we need everyone else to show that they like us. We, it's slightly hypocritical. We don't want it, we don't like ourselves, but I need you to like me because I feed off of it. I constantly need you for the affirmation that you give me. If blank, then I could blank. What is it that you're waiting for? That you, you think, if I can just get this, then I can do something for someone else. If I was more confident, then I could talk 
to other people and make them feel welcome. Oh, Bruce Almighty says to God, I had to right a few thing, wrongs in my own life first, and then, then I'm going to get round to, to helping other people. If I was more popular, then I could afford to look out for the loser. If I had a little bit more money, if I had a little bit more time, a little bit more energy, a little bit more security, then I could be more generous. Our ego is constantly crying out, if I just had this, then. But it's amazing how none of those things ever actually have lined up for us. There's always one more thing that we need. And the ego, it works in, the, in two ways. It can be the su superiority complex of, I'm amazing, or it can be the inferiority complex of, I'm terrible. But either way, we're still self-obsessed. We're still thinking about ourselves all the time. Both are the ego. I mean, my, my ego monster is going all the time. And sometimes I choose to feed it. I'm always more interested in the testimony if my name's dropped into it. I'm always writing myself into someone else's story. Or someone tells me something, and before they finish telling me it, I was like, oh yes, well I had that experience the other day. Have you ever been with those people? They're well annoying, aren't they? You can't finish telling your story before they're saying, oh yeah! And then they're telling their story over top of your story. Yep, that's me. I do that. The one that got me was when I was listening to a teaching on, on pride and ego. And he said, uh, you really know this thing has got you if you've listened to half this message and you've been thinking, oh, that person really needs to listen to this. <laughs> it's for them, not for me. Pitchfork in it, throwing it behind us. Don't let it touch us. Oh, yeah. I should, I should get, them, get them to listen to this. Otherwise, it can be, oh, don't publicly honour me, don't praise me, don't, don't call me a leader, I, I, I don't want that. But it can be a terror and a fear. It's still the same ego shouting. I know if I'm left to my own devices who I really am. I'm an insatiable consumer of love, I need from you constantly, I'm constantly looking for your attention, your affirmation, your love. I'm constantly thinking, how does this relationship give me what I need? So what is this freedom of self-forgetfulness? What can we do about an ego like that? Well... Google Images has some fantastic ideas. Kill your ego. Ego is the only requirement to destroy any relationship, so be the bigger person. Skip the E and let it go. <laughs> Inspirational. But how? How? You know what? If I managed to kill my ego, I would be so proud. Gandhi said, do not judge others, be your own judge, and you will be truly happy. 
be your own judge and you'll be truly happy. That's a pretty common idea in this world. We see it in Cool Runnings. Look in the mirror and tell me what you see. You see Junior. You see Junior. Well, you want to know what I see? I see pride. I see power. I see a badass mother who don't take no crap of nobody. You really see all that? Yeah, man. But it's not about what I see. It's about what you see. Now look in this mirror and tell me again what you see. <clears throat> well, I see... Pride! Pride! Power! Power! And I see... A badass mother who, who don't take, take no, no crap off of nobody! Again! I see pride! Can I hear you? I see power! I see a badass mother who won't take no crap off of nobody. Once again! I see pride! Junior! I see power! I see a badass mother who won't take no crap off of nobody! That's right! That's right! Junior Beville! Where, where, where are you going? <laughs> so the, the world's solution for a low self-esteem is get yourself a high self-esteem. Build yourself up. Be your own judge. Don't worry about what anyone else says. Just think about what you think about yourself. That doesn't work for me. Because if I just judge myself by my own standards, I still fail them. If I had a tape recorder strapped to my chest, recording everything I say and recommend, and then compare myself to that, I'd still fail it. So the only, only thing I can do is have really low standards so that I can reach them. But then, I'm going to be so ashamed that I'm a person that has to have low standards. I can't be my own judge. It doesn't work. It doesn't help me. So Paul says, doesn't need to be judged by you, and he's not even his own judge. Paul has a very different idea. He's not judged by the Corinthians or any human court. He doesn't look for the Corinthians for his identity. He doesn't need them to think that he's a somebody. And he doesn't even judge himself. Paul is incredibly confident when you read his writings. But he's also painfully honest about his own failings. That's an unusual thing. I know a lot of people that are incredibly confident, yet completely honest. See, what Paul has discovered is there's not a connection between his identity and his sin. Those things have been separated. There's a firewall between them. The verdict that he's looking for is not connected to his words, deeds, or his attitude. Can you imagine the freedom that Paul's, Paul's discovered? The gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things to myself. It's an end to such thoughts as, okay, I'm in this room. How do I rank in order of the, the hierarchy? What, what's going to make me look good? What's going to make me look bad? I can stop connecting every experience every conversation with myself. C.S. Lewis says, 
you don't come away from a conversation with someone that's humble saying, oh, that person is really humble. You come away thinking, they seem genuinely interested in me. They really listened. They really understood. The self-forgetful person is not particularly badly hurt by criticism. It would not devastate them. It won't keep them out up late at night. I'd love that. Because people are devastated by criticism. Either by hearing it or by a refusal to hear it. As uh, Taylor Swift said, shake it off. (laughs) Don't listen to the haters. But that is just as much as being devastated by criticism is refusing to hear it. A self-forgetful person can listen to it, can see the opportunity to change. The more the gospel comes and changes us, we would become the person that doesn't need honour, but neither are we afraid of it when it does come. That we wouldn't need, we wouldn't lust for recognition, but we're not frightened to death when it does come. Don't you want to be the kind of person that can look at your reflection in the shop window and not admire it too much, nor cringe either? I mean, to me, this stuff, I, I, don't, I don't walk in that. I want to live in that. It blows my mind that it's a possibility. Tim Keller uses this, this in the book. Wouldn't you like to be the skater who wins the silver and yet is thrilled about those three triple jumps that the gold medalist won? To love it the way that you love a sunset. Just to love the fact that it was done. For it not to matter whether it was their success or your success. Not to care if they did it or you did it. You are happy just that it was done. As if you'd done it yourself. That's... That's a different world to me. I I want that. I want to be able to rejoice in someone else's victory just like as if I'm watching the sunset. I don't know if you've ever had one of those sunsets where it just just catches you. You You're mesmerized. You're fascinated. In that sense, you know that you've done nothing to earn that. You've had no part in causing the sun to set, but there's something of its beauty that just captures you in that moment, and it's just a pleasure and an honor to be there. I want to be like that when God does something in someone else's life. I I want to rejoice like that. C.S. Lewis talks about God wants to get us to a place where we can build the world's best cathedral, and know it's the best, and be no more enamored that we built it than someone else. It's not about the fact that we've got to touch it. We don't have to come up in the credits at the end for us to still be able to give ourselves fully to it. After my identity crisis in Trinidad, God gave me a picture of um, two ants. And he asked me, can you tell the difference between these two ants? I said, no, they're ants, they look the same. 
He said, do you think they care? I said, no, they're ants. And then he asked, why don't they care? And in my mind's eye, the camera kind of zoomed out from the two ants, and I saw that they were part of this long procession of carrying stuff. And as I, the camera went along the branch, I saw what they were carrying, uh, what they're carrying too. They were building a nest. They were building a kingdom. I thought, ah, they don't care, because what they're about is more important than the fact that they stand out. I want God to put a fascination in me for the king and his kingdom that means it doesn't... I just want to see it happen. I just want to have an honour of seeing it happen. I don't need to have my hands on it. Anything I'm given to do, wow, what a privilege to be part of that. But if it's your life or my life, if I've got the silver and you've got the gold, it doesn't matter. Just the fact that it was done. As the sun sets... I want to be able to rejoice that the kingdom is advancing and I get to witness it and see it. Freedom of self-forgetfulness means that I'm actually able to enjoy doing things for themselves, not for what they do for me. I can enjoy helping someone for that person without me thinking, this will make me feel better, this will fill some of my emptiness. I'm not just trying to build a resume or a CV. I'm not trying to earn anything before God. See, it's not about thinking less of myself, but it's about thinking of myself less. So it sounds great, but how do we get it? The problem with fighting for self-esteem is whether it's high or low, we're still in the courtroom every single day. We're constantly thinking, oh, that was a good defense of me. Or, or no, I think, I think it's leaning against me. We're constantly thinking about what good I've done or what bad I've done. But what Paul has discovered is it's not about him. It's about what Christ has done. And in reality, the trial is over. Paul knows that he's outside of the courtroom It's done, it's gone, it's finished. The ultimate verdict is already in. See, the world lives in order to get a good verdict. What we believe is we live from the fact that he's already given us a good verdict. The chariots of fire... We've played this clip before, but just see the difference between these two characters in, and how they deal with their verdict. I believe that God made me for a purpose, for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor them. Now, in one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I?
It's a very different basis. Two runners, one running from the vat that God has already approved of him, and the, one, the other one running to try and get approval. That's the difference. We can live as people that already know the verdict is in. Everything that Christ has, he's given over to us. That's what the verdict is. And in the same way that God said to Christ, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. He says the same thing to you. He says the same thing to you. You are my son, you are my child whom I love. With you I am well pleased. That's our starting point. We don't earn that. He earned it for us. And I live from that, not in order to get it. I don't have to fill up my emptiness. He's filled it up. He faced the ultimate trial so that I would never be on trial again. And all I've got to do is say, God, I need you. I want to live in the acceptance that you have earned for me, what you have done. I don't want to be in a courtroom anymore. And then just like what Paul says, the only judge that matters is what God says. And he finds me more valuable than all the jewels on the earth. Self-forgetfulness takes you out of the courtroom. The trial is over, the verdict is in. What I want you to be able to do is ask, God, help me. Help me to realize when I'm ba- I put myself back in the court again. When I'm judging myself, when I'm judging others, when I'm being judged by others. Why am I in the court? I have no reason to be here. We can ask, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Am I back in the courtroom, God? Is my behavior one that's trying to earn something rather than someone that's been given all? A piece of homework for you. Could you explain to someone how the gospel can and should transform our sense of identity? And to what extent have you experienced that transformed identity yourself? He's already judged us based on what Christ has done and he's found us worthy because of what he's done. Therefore, we never need to be in the court again. Thank you, Jamie. Um, to what extent do you think you heard what was being said? I think he set us some interesting homework there. It's difficult to do the homework if you didn't actually hear what he was saying. So if you listened, uh, I'm not talking about the ability to recant what he said you know if you listened if you listened with ear to hear there's some pretty useful stuff you know 
we're living in a world where, which is dominated by insecurity, people paying a fortune for all sorts of therapies and counselling and things like that. We're talking about the real answer to insecurity. We're talking about levels of freedom, um, which is not about whether we're free to do just what we want, but it's about something deep inside. Actually, something that people absolutely long for, that Christ has provided for us. So that we can say, you know, it's more important to be a part than the part that I be. No longer concerned. I mean, if you were listening, if you were hearing, you would say, wow, there is a place of freedom. And probably most of us would say, we're grateful for the measure we've got, but we wouldn't mind a bit more. Um, Richard, can you come, please? I, I want us to use that song, take us right back to... Um, uh, what song is it I want? Um, it's on your list uh, about the blood. Yeah. Um, your blood speaks a better word. Because, guys, I want us to just come back. You, you can relax a little bit. It's all right. It's not going to hurt. Um, I want us to come back to see again. Listen to me. There is a freedom. I long for this. I long for greater measure for me. But in my interaction and dealings, I long for this good thing that God has provided in greater measure for everyone. And some of you, you are walking adverts for the need of this. There's no good if I can see it. It's whether you can see it. And if you've listened and if you've heard, you say, hey, I think that would be good for me to live in a place of security, a place where I'm not self-obsessed, a place where I can have a level of freedom free from ego. Wow. And what a, what a blessing, what a joy people are that live in that. And God has called us and equipped us not to go around and tell people they're sinners bound for hell or any religious stuff, but to actually live and demonstrate a whole different lifestyle. But if it was just something we had to attain to, it would feel nigh on impossible. But then he says, I have made all provision for you to have that. You, if you don't know this song, you can just listen into it. But this is a song of recognising the extent to what he did. He paid the ultimate price that we could live in this sort of freedom. It's wonderful to get freedom from the things that we can identify, addictions and attitudes and sins of the past, but to get this freedom and peace inside is part of our inheritance in him.
God can wash away our sins. We can, as I've said, always identify with some things. But what can make us whole, whole again, as God intended us to be? Nothing but the blood. The fact that he died for us and gained for us the absolute victory. We gain that simply by saying, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Lord, I want to be like you want me to be, like you've provided for me to be. Amen? Father, we thank you for the tremendous sacrifice and the enabling of power that comes because you conquered everything that the enemy could even come up with to destroy your provision. Lord, that you've made provision that we can live free of ego, free of self-obsession, pure, released. What a freedom. What a gift. What a salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK. Thank you.